When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. And take it away, we shall. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. And hello, everyone. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening, as always, to episode, well, specifically episode 197 of Dismembering Horror, where today I think we have made good traction on our quest to see the sight unseen, to see what uh, disturbs and sticks with you and truly horrifies. That's the quest we've been on. And I think we uh, dug up some good treasure today. And it's in part thanks to, and uh, well, we'll be... um, well, we're just very happy to have them. We have two guests with us today. We have uh, filmmaker and screenwriter Rachel Kempf. Hello, Rachel. Hello. And then author of the book uh, that we're going to be discussing today. I didn't say it yet. It's Threads, Mr. Bob Milky. Hello, Bob. Hello. And I'm also a filmmaker. Oh, yeah. Great, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I only had horror on the mind. <laughs> Um, yeah, great to have you too. No, I was super excited to know that some, uh, some friends of mine are starting a horror book publishing company and their first book released was on the film Threads, which, uh, we hope you've seen if you're here, but if not, uh, well, thanks for being here all the same. <laughs> okay. How do we like to get into it here? Um, I think I'd like to jump into it with just a trailer and then we got a lot to talk about. Yep. Let's do it. So to set the mood, here we go. From 1984, is that correct? That's correct. All right. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Got the expert <laughs> the here. Expert. Yeah. Here we go. Threads. The United States government has been forced, reluctantly, to take action to safeguard what it believes are legitimate Western interests in the Middle East. We are confident that the Soviet Union will take note of our resolve and will desist from its present perilous course of action. There is growing evidence overnight from scientists and observers in many countries that there have been two nuclear explosions in the Middle East. In response to today's news of the outbreak of hostilities between vessels of the United States and Soviet navies, the Ministry of Defense has announced it's sending more troops to Europe to reinforce the British commitment to NATO. This time, they are playing with, at best, the destruction of life as we know. Okay, everyone, (laughs) so threads. Uh, I think we had a dismembering horror first here for this episode where uh, Tim and I sort of have a rule. We don't talk about the film beforehand, but I thought it was apt and not uncalled for. Tim texted me saying that this was the most bleak thing he had ever seen. Yeah. This is, uh, yeah. That, pretty bleak, yeah. What more can you say? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, after uh, the trailer here, we like to rate it. 
And uh, to do that, we have a rating system where we tell ourselves to avoid stream, rent, or buy threads. Uh, if we had never seen the film before, speaking all very subjectively. So, uh, Rachel, hearing that someone else put this as the bleakest thing they've ever seen and knowing when we were talking <laughs> horror movies, you mentioned this as your favorite horror movie. And when looking for recommendations, uh, it was one that you recommended. So is that true? This is your favorite. And if so, could you include that in your uh, rating? I'm not sure if it's my favorite it is the scariest movie I've ever seen. Like, so I want to make that distinction mm. because like I've seen it a lot. Well, not, uh, I've seen it. I only saw it for like the first time in the pandemic, um, like early pandemic, which was a fun, <laughs> which was an extra bleak <laughs> context in which to oh my see God. it. But it's probably in my like top 10 all time favorite movies. It's probably like, it's, it, it's, it's in my, for sure, like top three horror movies, but uh, yeah, it it's I, I I do I do like it quite a bit. And why is that? When what would you tell yourself? Would, does that mean it's a buy it or? I could probably, it's really hard for me. Your recommendations, like your system, it's interesting because like <laughs> I have shutters, <laughs> so, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I can go get it anytime I want. And it's also like, it's a movie that even though I just genuinely think is so terrifying, it's not one that you really like yearn to like watch <laughs> again. Um, but sometimes I just want to get like really high and be like, ah, the world, the world oh no. <laughs> like, um, which, in which case I would say, bye, if you ever want to play the game of like, how scared can I get like really deeply in my heart? And in that Great. case, yeah, but well, have it, drugs because that's... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Damn, make it even more intense. Well, in that case, hearing where you're coming from, uh, you might want a hard copy for should, uh, you know, the apocalypse happen That's, in Kirksville. And a yeah. VHS, because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll get it back running. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. And Bob, how about you? You're, yeah, well, you're first, reading. I would, I would add that Missouri legalized recreational marijuana. So Rachel isn't saying anything that is illegal. <laughs> to do, at least in this state. I'm from the um, California. I'm so used to yeah, it not I'm, even being the right, teensiest right. I, I am also, of course, going to say a buy, but for a, a different reason. Um, I do not have shutter. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm old. You can tell by the gray beard. I, I pop in Blu-rays and stuff. And the Severin reissue of the film you know, this isn't a lot of your podcast buys. You don't necessarily talk about the bonus features, but this is this has really got a great set of bonus features that you get the um, the Mick Jackson director's commentary, which is very mm. informative and not the kind of jive, you know, what we had for breakfast that morning sort of thing that can happen. And a lot of other in a good interview with uh, Ruth, the Ruth, uh, the actor who played Ruth, uh, Karen Maher. So. The Severin did a fantastic job, even though, as you might imagine, um, you you know the the uh, the celluloid image can be upgraded only so much, even on Blu-ray, because it has a certain look. But mm -hmm. um, I really like the Blu-ray reissue of it, um, and I will say that I watched the movie about fifteen times, and it does get. <gasps> You know, it never does, unlike the day after, it never turns into a comedy, but it does get a little <laughs> less traumatic after about the 10th viewing. 
But but Got yeah. It. So you, so you have to endure ten viewings before right, that right. happens. <laughs> but but you have to be in a as as Rachel said, you have to be in a very special mood to watch it. That's the yes. Yeah. Definitely. Got it. Way. How about so, you guys? Uh, by, what do you what right. do you think? I mean, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like it's those things where I've said it before where a movie this uh yeah, Tim the perfect word for it, bleak. Um yeah, where I just don't know how much that means I actually want to revisit it. But at the same time, sometimes movies that really get to me, I like want to own them like you're literally owning your fears or something yeah, exactly. you know, to what? know what's so scary. Um, so after hearing your your uh, your recommendations for the Blu-ray itself, sure, and just how good it is, thinking I want to throw it on for the best possible quality for unsuspecting, ready or not friends, I'll say buy it. Oh man, Tim, yeah. I really struggled <laughs> with this concept because I kept thinking to myself, like, I never want to see this again, <laughs> right? Like, in in essence, and it's not because it's bad, and it's not because of anything other than the fact that I don't want to go through the trauma of this movie. And so I was like, okay, well, we keep saying if this is you telling yourself, what would you do? In that framework, I would say avoid it to myself. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. By the way, you join a, a, a fair number of my students. I showed it in a film class, <laughs> and somebody responded by saying, "There is no reason on earth for this movie to exist, and no one should ever watch it, and it is immoral to show it." That's okay. I, that's so strong. I disagree wrong. with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and here's the the big reason I I kind of patently disagree is that like. As a filmmaker, so that was me telling me just yeah. just Tim, normal Tim. But like filmmaker Tim, I watched this and I go, oh, shit, this is actually, there's so much going on from a filmmaking standpoint that like it's almost like re- it should be required viewing in a way. And so that creates sort of a paradox for me to be like, like what do what do I rate it? I mean, it's essentially a buy for the necessity of like, that you should use it as a tool to learn how to make something really like scary. Right. Or or not even just scary, just like there's so much going on from a mm-hmm. filmmaking point of view that yeah. is unique that I think you should own it in that sense. So I don't know where I land. Well, uh, I think the closest thing we had, just as far as I didn't think it was going to be beat as far as bleak factor, was Possession. Uh, I know, and I love that. We both said buy it to that. So, oh, God. And I think this had a lower budget than Possession. Mm, Probably. That actually is, we'll talk about it, one of the things that fascinates me the most about this movie is the fact, that fact that, how they were able to pull this off astonishes me. Mm. Like I don't, I don't. I mean, I, I'm eager to hear more about it. Um, so okay, I'm gonna just say because I'm me, but I'm also me, who's a filmmaker, and you can't get rid of that. <laughs> that I'll be a buy. Great, <laughs> more or less buy it all around. Yeah. Great, three buys. Four. Great. Four. Um, okay, and just because I kind of skirted over it too, um, uh, Bob here, I wanted to mention you're also um, an anti-nuclear activist or mm-hmm. have experience yep. with that. 
So wanted to give that context here. And then just to get you, I kind of skirted over this too. I wanted in, uh, in your answers here for your ratings is to get to know you two a bit better here as our guests. So, um, so Bob, yeah, you said the, you know, you'd buy it for the Blu-ray itself, how great the special features are. So let me pose it this way. Why write the book on threads for you? Well, well, I mean, that goes into this wonderful series that <clears throat> Nick and Rachel are, are producing um, that, you know, modeling on the 33 and a third book length studies of, uh, of, of vinyl. And uh, what's the name of the series on, on computer games? Bo- uh, video games, Boss Fight Books. Boss Fight Books. Friend Gabe does. Um, it seems like a really nice uh, sort of focus, just like your podcast focuses on, on a film and does a deep dive. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great that the, we're, we're putting out this, they're putting out this eclectic series of books about horror films. And uh, I guess, Rachel, because of my nuclear connections, um, you know, they immediately thought I was the guy to do threads. And I, I'm always willing to write a book about threads, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like I had all the skill sets necessary to do it. So, it was a real pleasure, and I had the luck. I was on sabbatical during the pandemic. It was like the perfect storm. I basically edited our Sigmund Snowpeck documentary. We've been Nick and I have been working on Nick Toady and I, and I wrote this book. I would do one month of editing and one month of uh, or one month of taking notes to, for the edit, and one month of, of drafting a chapter. Great, and, and, I'm gonna and, dig and deeper Rachel's here. An exquisite editor. Correct. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, great editing. So I'm going to dig uh, deeper here. And so why or how was it a pleasure for you to delve into this film? Well, I, I teach an interdisciplinary course on nuclear weaponry. Um, so, I mean, I, I do, yeah, I, I, I've been doing nuclear stuff. I mean, my first publication is a 1984 article that I talk about in Chapter 2, An Ethical Taxonomy of nuclear representation sounds really boring, but it's about science fiction and film about stuff, the attitudes people take toward that. Later on, I did a really funky article for Film Quarterly out of Berkeley on um, the nuclear test documentary as a kind of techno porn. So it really is one of my major areas of scholarship and teaching and research and stuff like that. And I, I told, uh, when we did the book launch in Milwaukee a few days ago, I told the audience, something changed. Growing up in the Cold War, I used to have nightmares about the bomb going off. And then when I started working with this nuclear photographer based in uh, Phoenix named James Cernkovich, um, I started having nuke dreams where in the dream there was a mushroom cloud and we were trying, we were like nuke chasers trying to... <laughs> trying to like get up to it to get the picture. Like this is a rare opportunity, a live mushroom cloud. Let's go. Uh, so <laughs> I'm a little weird, you know, basically. <laughs> Got it. All right. And, You're in uh, good company. Yeah. 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 Uh, and Rachel, for you, this is a bit of a pop quiz question, but just to get to know you better as a film viewer, mm-hmm. uh, I know you're always watching horror films. You're always wearing uh, shirts there representing your favorite horror films. I'd love to know not what is the absolute favorite, but what is a favorite non-horror film of yours? Ooh, favorite non-horror <clears throat> movie of mine. I'm going to seem 
Real lame to you guys. Probably. Okay, wait, no. This one I stand behind a thousand percent. Beavis and Butthead do America is like <laughs> totally in my all-time top ten. It's very good. Um, but I also I also like love a rom-com weirdly. Like I used hmm. to write rom-coms before, like I, I like wanted to write horror movies, and then I was in grad school, like at UT's like screenwriting program, and they were like, You should write comedies, you're so funny. And <laughs> I, I tried that for a while and now I'm back. Back to scary, back to one. Um, but uh, yeah, getting back to the main point, Beavis and Butthead Do America is an incredible piece of filmmaking. It's a Great. very bizarre movie, but it's just like way funnier and smarter than it should be. Seems weird to call that movie smart, but like there are just things in it. Like he sh- they get shown the like, uh, um, they're at, um, ah, the, the big, the big, Yellowstone. Yes, Yellowstone. And yeah. and they're just like, this is how much this geyser shoots out, blah, blah, blah. And Butthead's just like, so? So? Like, which is the perfect <laughs> reaction. The like, greatest thing anyone could ever say to it. But yeah, there's just very excellent. They meet their dads. Ugh, it's crazy. Like, Great. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll revisit it after it's, watching the sequel. We usually um, ask our guests, you know, what their relationship is to horror mm-hmm. and like what, you know, all that. Um usually knowing maybe they aren't, you know, so exclusively whore. So I thought for you, I just wanted to flip the switch there. Yep. Um, Great. All right. Well, uh, to keep on trucking here, we like to move on with a short summary just to get us all on the same page of how we viewed this film. So uh, our guests between you two, do you want to kind of let us know what this film was? Oh, I'll take it away. Okay, so Threads (laughs) is a movie made by the BBC, like a made-for-TV movie, essentially to, like, warn people of the dangers of, like, a nuclear um, war. And it does that by just showing you the lead-up to the incredibly brutal, like, the lead-up to... And then the incredible, and the blast, but then the like years, decades after the blast, and the whole movie is like structured so that it's like, like, however many, like, like, here's this date. And then it's like, you get another date, and they're, uh, sorry, I'm not being very. (laughs) They keep give, they keep marking time throughout the movie with the intertitles. So that you don't know when the blast is coming necessarily, but after the blast happens, it's like one day, like 24 hours after the blast, this horrible awfulness happens. And now it's like a month after the blast and all of the food rations have been seized and only the people who work, the people who work get more food because the less people there are, the more food there is for everyone. Um, so hopefully those weak people die and the rest of us can have like food. They're like years after, like 10 years after, now the children are watching their school seems to just be watching old VHS tapes that they managed to get running of just like things that seem to be like They're watching, like, a video that would have made sense if kids were, like, in a museum and they knew what the world was before a nuclear holocaust. But, like, the fallout of a nuclear holocaust is so bleak that just nobody is talking to each other. They're all just, like, huddled 
trading rats for sex and like, <laughs> and like eating dead cows for like substance and like uh, dead sheep. Oh, dead sheep. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, eating eating dead animals for subsistence. The main woman that you're following is pregnant in the lead up to it. The lead up to it is very like COVID vibes because um, it goes really quickly from like, oh, we don't, uh, you know, there's just sort of like planes flying over in the background to like, uh-oh, now the radio is just telling us or the TV is just telling us how to... Uh, how to prepare for our fallout shelter and what to do with bodies when they pile up and where to go. When is it safe to go outside to bury them and all this other stuff. And then, like, the blast is very good. I just want to share that. The blast is so excellent. Um, there's a point at which it's just showing, like, flashing light and you're seeing just bodies disintegrating, which is, <laughs> like, one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Yeah. But like Top tier. Yeah, top tier, like, all time. Um, that's very good. But, yeah, it just keeps going for, like, decades after. And every time... It's like another inner title comes up. It starts to get a little like, uh-oh, like now now what is the world like? It can't possibly get any worse, but it just keeps getting worse. And it's very sobering. They really did a very good job. Like there's a, Bob talks about it in his book, there's a movie called The Day After that came before Threads that was also like a, let's warn you of the horrors of a nuclear fallout. But it ends with this card that was like, this is only a depiction of what the horrors would be. In reality, this the it would be much worse. And it's like, Threads is like the much worse. <laughs> They're like, challenge accepted. I'll make a much worse version of it to really scare the crap out of you. And I kept reading when I was trying to write this, the, the blurb for the back of the book for Die Die Books. Um, I Googled and the phrase that kept coming up and I couldn't find where it was attributed to or who came up with this was like, it was called the night, they called the night it aired on BBC as the night Sheffield didn't sleep or like the yeah, night England, the night Great, the night Britain, Great didn't. Britain didn't sleep. Everyone was too scared, um, yeah. which is just great. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, one thing I would add is that it's not a response to the day after it was actually oh, being, yeah. being done before. And in fact, what Mick Jackson says on the commentary, the director, is that he uh, he wanted he watched the day after to see if if you know he didn't need to make this film, and he was happy to see that there was still some darkness to mm -hmm. explore. Oh, lots, lots. Great. <laughs> lots Tim, anything dark. you wanted to add? Hmm. No, not no, not really. I mean. Not that we won't discuss yeah. more, I guess. Right. <laughs> Great. But yeah, no, we basically that... follow Jimmy and Ruth, uh, you know, and their two families, the the Becketts and the Kemps. And we follow as a, uh, the only other real subplot is that uh, that urban planner, you know, who's got the, sh you know, has the underground, uh, you know, seat of government thing, which Britain thoroughly prepared for because of, you know, lessons learned from the Blitz. You know, so they're ready in a way that most U.S. cities aren't to, you know, have a uh, an underground government after it. And of right, course, right. Britain yep. is such a a, 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 a target rich island that they have a totally different mindset toward nuclear war than Americans do. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. they know they're toast if there's anything. Mm. 
<laughs> Great. All right. I think that sets the stage very well here. Thank <laughs> you for that. Thank you, everyone, for that. All right. So then we can move on with our first big section. Let's get into it here with what worked. What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> it worked like a charm, Smith. <laughs> what worked? What worked? my god where do you even begin (laughs) (laughs) well just because you kind of already mentioned it rachel i feel like i want to mention uh the the text that sort of punctuates Mm -hmm. the film throughout Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like that texas chainsaw quality where it just Mm -hmm. does it, it adds to that stark and bleakness by being so matter of fact And then sort of similar to The Shining as far as just then having that effect of, oh, it's still going to get worse as we go here. But I thought it was interesting and what really worked for me is that the narration is doing the same thing as a text Mm -hmm. where it's like keeping it in the realm of documentary somehow kind of still just a little bit. But that British intonation of that matter of factness to have... Mm -hmm. To have at the beginning just this sort of reporting of facts uh, sound a certain matter-of-fact way, and then by the end of the movie, it sounds the exact same way. Mm -hmm. It's just so, like, it's like watching a nature documentary on this actually happening, and just that something, there's a, I don't know, there's, I don't know if it's a disconnect maybe, but just something about that... uh, Yeah, I mean, obviously the narrator is not emotionally reacting to what we're seeing and neither is the text. Nothing. The text is just, It's It's the worst thing. It's just like two hours of the worst things you could ever possibly imagine, but none of it feels like an exaggeration. None of it's Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, you see a like horror movie sometimes and they're like, I'm going to put the like, I'm going to put the like scary noise and here's the jump scare and I'm going to really go over the, like nothing... Somehow everything is the worst thing I can possibly imagine and not at all over the top or being like, yeah, it's just like, (laughs) nope, this is just what would happen. Very matter of fact. And that's always very like it really gets you. Yeah. The movie has one big jump scare, a nuclear bomb going off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. Right. I know. And need need nothing bigger. God, for just the um, the the suspense of leading up to it and then the horror of the aftermath. That uh, I, I think that singularly is like this whole film is this weird lesson in uh in the l- dread, like building dread up to because we know what's gonna happen. It's not it's not a secret, right? Like no. they pretty much say it right off the bat. And so in my mind I'm thinking, okay. This is a movie that is ostensibly going to be about the impact of nuclear fallout. And, like, that's true, but really the movie is, like, an hour and a half of, like, (laughs) dread. Yes. Before the bomb even hits. Yeah. And so you're just sitting there. Like, that is the – effect that that had is just me sitting there. I was like wandering around while I watched it because I was like I'm like I'm not sitting down for this. I just <laughs> yeah. have to like pace. <laughs> well, because it's it's it, like 
it's so much lead up. And I'm like, when is the thing going to actually happen? Yeah, it speaks to, um, I think it's kind of like the effect of watching Titanic where it's like, (laughs) even though I know what's going to happen, I still get so caught up in the story and like the characters. And there's that little part of me that thinks maybe this time (laughs) it's not going to, you know, crash into the iceberg. And it's the same way watching this where it just feels like, I don't know, you just get caught up in that sense where it's so effective. Um, Well, uh, Bob, Anything in either not mentioned or mentioned in your book that you just want to put out there, just especially works for you about this film? Yeah, I, I'll 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 give you a few things. I uh, one of them, and I'm, I've gotten more aware of, and this is this is something that really American viewers aren't going to be as 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 aware of. But there was this whole movement called the British Free Cinema Movement that uh, Nick really put me onto that. Um, that uh, one of the things that really, I think, made it even worse for British audiences than American audiences was that uh, Barry Hines, and Ken, the screenwriter, and Ken Loach, the director, had collaborated on, a, on, on some very serious, depressing working class movies that really aren't horror, but are not exactly a fun ride, like uh, uh, Kess is the most well-known one, you know, based on a Kestrel for a Knave. Um, the gamekeeper and looks and smiles. So <clears throat> that is what's giving us that really funky and bleak uh, and dreadful blue gray, you know, palette, you know, mise en scene in the film. And I think that's very effective. I mean, I'm bummed out at the opening scene. You've got a couple on Lover's Lane, and it looks like shit, you know. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, right? It's already depressing. I love the flower that he gives her. Right. It's a we. It's like the like lamest thing ever. It's just yes, like a, yes. Like and he wants to brown watch the weed. soccer match, but apparently he's going to actually fuck her and knock her yeah. up. You know, right? I mean, and and it's like turn the, the you know, and the, the first ominous news comes in, and it's like change yeah. the channel so we can you know watch the foot listen to football. And then Chuck Berry comes on the first of three times. Weird. So I love that. I love Karen Maher's performance as Ruth. She carries the movie. I mean, like that is just a tour de force. Um, And I love the interview of bonus features with her because she's awesome. I like the mystery of Jimmy. You know, Jimmy, we never see Jimmy die. Unlike in the day after where you get some Ray Harryhausen skeleton flashes taking a Mm. few people out. You know, Jason and the Argonaut stuff. We don't get that in in threads. Jimmy just disappears. There's a weird, uh, like, I call the people who really like the film Threads Heads. There's a whole, <laughs> there's a Threads Head subculture take that shows up on podcast, other podcasts and stuff that Jimmy is in the end next to Jane when she's dying, you know, when she's giving birth to the stillborn thing, that it's Jimmy on the right. I don't see it. Mick Jackson doesn't say it's there, but... I think it's much more effective that Jimmy just disappears. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Right? He's just gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll reinforce what Rachel said, the endless deferral of the ending, the way it just <laughs> keeps going on. I mean, it's like, it's like the, the death of a thousand cuts waiting for the film to end. Like, please roll the credits. Freeze frame, roll the credits. No, there's more. Ah! Yeah. You know? Um, I, and again, as we I hinted with, as Tim brought up, you know, the practical and low-budget effects as opposed to CGI. 
are mm. fantastic. How they stretched a buck. You know, all those uh, radiation burns are ketchup and Rice Krispies. You know, they they got they got a really good bang for a buck. They used a, a council estate that was going to be torn down to do all their demolition okay. stuff. So they found all kinds of ways to cost cut that any any filmmaker wanting to stretch a, a dollar or a pound, you know, can learn from. And then finally, last but not least, you know, if you look at what, how, if you want one image that really captures the horror of the film, it's that woman pissing in her shoe when the, when the first bomb goes off, which is like the only effect shot in the film. Everything else is stock footage. <laughs> that they actually did some chemicals in a tank to get, you know, but <clears throat> that is like pure cinema gold. And, and uh, you know, and it says it all. And I cannot, and, you know, the day after wouldn't touch a scene like that with a 10-foot pole. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. And did Great. Um, yeah, I liked, um, as far as you mentioned, uh, I don't know if you just put it this way, but the feel of false endings of just, like, waiting for the ending and wanting it, the way I thought of it, it just offers zero reprieve in that sense. It's just, oh, yeah, it keeps going. When you think it can't, it keeps going. And, um Boy, I mean, yeah, just, I, I mean, actually, since I'm just kind of mentioning it too, wanted to mention about the end and ending where like I had the thought. So, I mean, it ends where she's giving birth to her stillbirth baby. It's like, you know, barely looks like baby at this point. It's just so, it's as horrifying as can be. If the baby had been a healthy baby, the film would still be as horrifying. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't give be given a sense of hope from a living baby. You'd be still oh, just totally. as like down and depressed that now this is the cycle we're in. So to like, I don't know, it's like quadrupling down on something just to have the baby be the way it is. Like, uh, yeah, but her, I, her reaction, even if it was a healthy baby, her, you can justify the exact same reaction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just, that's the world. Here's <sighs> my take on that moment. Because like what I love, love, love in Threads is that the children of the nuclear holocaust just, they don't even like really speak English hardly. Like they just kind of talk in this weird like monster, like gimme, gimme. Like it's so, she's like trying to wake up her mom when she's dead. And she's like, bro, yeah. work. Like it's not even complete sentences because no one's just like, no one's just like having a moment of like community or like talking with each other about their feelings or anything. They're like, nope, feelings are gone now. Happiness is over. <laughs> we just, we're all just cockroaches at this point trying to, trying to get through. Um, so for me, I'm like, I don't see a time at which Ruth was ever like, listen here, daughter, let me tell you about what happens when men and women have sex. She's not thinking like, you know, I got to tell you about the miracle of childbirth or the horror of childbirth as it were. She may not know what's coming out of her. Like when she's giving birth, she might not know what's happening to her. You know, she might not know it's supposed to be a human. Like, who knows? Right. Like, has and she seen the, anyone else give birth? Like, maybe she has, but maybe she hasn't. Like, nobody knows right. what these kids do and don't know. And yeah. I just love I, the, that. The idea that then even if she had or does have a baby at some point, it's probably unlikely. It's It really is feels in that missing length of, link of, like, how we get to the feral 
kid in the Road Warrior. Uh, you know, where I kept it's like, thinking about Road Warrior. Right? I was like, oh, this is the prequel to Road Warrior. Well, it's it's the opening uh, montage of Road Warrior yeah. that sort of gives vague notions of a war that wiped us all out. It's like, oh, this totally sees how this puts us right there. Um, yeah. But couple that with um, Bob. Yeah, I just wanted to to, to second what really worked for me there. You t- mentioned the um, the style of it. Um, in your book, I really like the term that you use. It's, I'm going to use it all the time now. It's so helpful. Kitchen sink realism mm-hmm. is uh, exactly what just makes it so effective, which I think is in possession too, like I mentioned earlier. And I have seen Kess is, um, yeah, the one film of his that I've seen, which, yeah, it just puts you right, right there. It really feels like that sort of, um, yeah, that, that uh, I don't know, that, that, what would be the word that sort of movement in the sort of seventies that you see like Will, William Friedkin does so well, mm-hmm. where like extras just feel real. But I mean, the thing that I'm always fascinated by when you pull off that style is that how you retain that realism, but then you also have enough stylistic elements with how it's shot. It seems like just two things that should almost be, I don't know, contradictory, mm-hmm. but only work together really well. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just always so amazed yeah. and love it when yeah. you can have that kitchen sink realism yeah. yet still apply like filmmaking and just sort of the, whether it's candid angles or just, yeah. um, and what's not there, no crane shots, mm-hmm. not, no, no bells and whistles, very much, barely a tripod handheld. Yeah. Still no bells and whistles, but still very deliberate and effective in, in its shots, it's coming yet within that kitchen sink realism. It's not just like drop someone in with a 16 millimeter camera and just let them go. You know, you do have to do more intentional filmmaking than that. Um, but yeah, God, incredible. And I thought Kess bummed me out to apply that style to this story. Yeah. Like, God, kudos. You can't can't do it better. On that note, I, I definitely, there was one shot that kind of struck me and and made me realize you know there's there's a pretty uh pretty amazing like synergy that they've accomplished between documentary style hyper realism and narrative filmmaking and like they I think in other hands, often you see those three things be too kind of, there's a disparity between them. Like, like each one is its own style. And in this, they're, they're kind of, they're merging together in a way that makes you forget where you are, like what you are watching. Because like, so, well, there's actually two shots that do this for me. One is Jimmy sitting in the bar like contemplating what he's going to do. Like he's just found out that Ruth is pregnant and he's drinking a pint and a guy comes up and stands next to him, presumably a friend who's like consoling him or whatever, and takes his beer glass to get him another beer. But you never see that guy in shot. You only see him from about chest down. And and it's the like where the camera is, is kind of untraditional like normally you would either be like at jimmy's eye line so the camera would be sort of table ish height mm-hmm. this is like a foot above that so we're we're looking down just slightly at jimmy 
And then that forces us to not be able to see his friend who's standing next to him, mm. right? Like we don't see, I think maybe they cut to that guy at one point, but like in this shot, it's very stark. It's just Jimmy and some guy's body. Mm. And they're and they're talking, like they're having a conversation. Traditionally, you would do coverage on that or whatever, mm-hmm. right. but they don't. And it's it's this weird amalgamation of like, in the moment, hyper-realism, documentary style, but like we're following the narrative part of mm-hmm. this story. And I find that like melding of those things really fascinating. The other one is when, <laughs> which I love, like this whole scene is amazing to me, is the grocery store scene yeah. where <laughs> the woman is like complaining that prices have gone up, which I'm sure we can all relate yes. to. Mm-hmm. And- and the, the clerk is just so matter of fact about it. He's like, well, then go fucking shop somewhere else, man. Yeah, like, yeah. get out of here. And they have this little fight, but then the sirens go off yeah. and- Dutch angle. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. utter chaos oh, of yeah. them leaving the store. And like specifically that the store exits have like a step down, right? Like they're built- so that you don't leave with the cart, right? <laughs> like you leave with a bag of groceries right. and you yeah. walk away. And people are pushing their carts over that step I and it's just, it. it's total chaos. Yeah. Mm. And just like the idea of of a camera existing in that moment at this time to capture that is sort of this weird, like I said, like this melding of these styles that it it almost feels wrong that we're even capturing that moment, but it is what's happening. And it, and like you said, like the Dutch angle gives it even more style. Mm-hmm. And so that it's just a really amazing, like accomplishment to me to, to see this merging of these things all working together to really have this, this overarching effect of just pure chaos and dread. Mm. Yeah, it's it's getting me thinking like it's interesting how it's presented as a documentary, but clearly, you know, it's not. Those are just traditional narrative filmmaking scenes as is essentially the whole movie aside from the text and the narration. Yet something about the narration giving it that documentary feel makes this not documentary footage feel more right. real in that documentary sense. Yeah. Um, just to go down my list here, uh, I got, I mean, in general is anything where it's like that authoritarianism that's just unshakable is just so terrifying. And I think what this film does well is it, it, um, it, it reminds us that they're, they're well-intentioned on some level, which makes it all that much more horrifying. Like a scene that really did that to be, um, when you have the planes that everyone's like in the fields leaving the big city and you have the pl- military planes, government planes, whatever, yelling at these people to go back to their homes <laughs> after we've just seen their homes are on, oh, they're all on fire if standing at all. And it's the fire just this kind of like, 
What was that? The fire trucks have all left. They've yeah. all fled. Right. <laughs> and there's no gas. There's no there's no petrol for them to get anywhere anyway. But there's And a, they keep reminding us of this. Right. It's just it just <laughs> it just was so it just seemed so apt where it's like they're in planes yelling that, where it's like this, you can't argue against it. It's just this it's like doesn't make any sense at all. Like you just want to say, wait, my, my home was blown up. What do you mean go back to your homes? But you just can't. You just can't. You're so you're so hopeless. Ugh. I think that that reality that they're depicting is kind of the scariest thing because it's this it's the authoritarian like attempt to keep mm-hmm. some semblance of order in a like a reality that they're it's it's over there's no like you can't salvage it so stop trying like this idea that there's an underground government being like well we knew this was coming so like we've got plans in place plans for what like everybody's dead <laughs> yeah it, it, right. it, it goes yeah. from post-apocalyptic <laughs> mm-hmm. to post post-apocalyptic right, right. kind of like Cormac McCarthy's the road you know it's not yes. happy times yeah yeah yeah, so like the the idea that even soldiers are trying to enforce anything and like that enforcement is also complete bullshit. Right? Like like they're like don't run don't run from us or we'll shoot you. For what? Like what are you like what are you protecting at this point? Right. It's it's utter chaos. Like people are just dying. Like so what like Well, the more people what they are you shoot, holding the more on food to? there is for the Right. <laughs> It's like musical chairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love these scenes too in the in the sort of the underground bunker, the guys that are like to this point, like trying to rationalize next steps. And it's like, guys, you're you're screwed too. Like, I don't know what like what do you think you're gonna get out of this? Yeah. I really love there's a moment that I am like obsessed with. Where there's a guy who is like stumbling through. It's like a day. I can't remember how long it is after the after the blast. But he goes into his kitchen as if like I'm. He just like tries the water like and is just not expecting it to work at all because it's been a while. But just tries it anyway. And then the water comes out and he's like oh, and he goes to like get like a bucket or something. He was so unprepared for the fact that the water might come out. And as soon as he puts the bucket under there, the water like trickles to a stop. Like it's like, (laughs) nope, it's gone. Like at the exact moment, like now it's gone and you'll never have it again. And you blew it, buddy. (laughs) Like you could have gotten the last water, but you lost it. It's so like, he's so sad. Um, But yeah, there's all these just like wonderful little moments of like, oh God, I never thought about that. Like they wouldn't have prepared us for that. Or like, she has the baby and she's got to bite off the umbilical cord with her teeth. (laughs) When she first started biting into that, I was like, what are we, what are we seeing right now? Is she eating the baby? Oh no, no, no. Okay. I get it. Gotta. Yeah. And that, that zombie school room with the videotape on cat skeletons and skulls. (laughs) I mean, that's just like twisting the knife. They just, yeah. But that's just it. That's the whole movie is just like, there is no, there's no glimmer of anything being better or at, at any point, right? Like, 
Like, oh, I found a puddle of water. It's irradiated. Like, yeah. it's going to taste like shit. A bottle of you know, Coke like, even. Oh, a we found a sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's just like, uh-huh. there is no, like, there's no upside. Yeah. Even when, when uh, you know, when Jimmy's dad swigs the scotch, he has to barf it out right away. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So, like, that in and of itself, like, that way, I mean, it's built in, obviously, to the circumstances of the story but to spend probably what how long uh, is there from point of the blast to the end of the movie is it about 45 minutes i want to say yeah about like 47 48 minutes something like yeah okay after yeah so so we sit with four you know once we settle into the fact that the bomb just went off we spend about 40 to 45 minutes of it just being awful. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's like a reprieve. No. It's not like no. we go, oh, okay, finally yeah. they can relax for a second. Yeah. Even like they have like, like it's yeah. brutal. Like one of the cards, because usually it's like the the little like inner titles are like to tell you, to just orient you to like, here's how things are gonna happen now in that documentary style. But one of them just says, December 25th. <laughs> and that's I the love date. that. So it's Christmas. Like and that just, tableau yeah. is amazing. They're yeah. all just sitting around a fire, totally silent. Ruth baby is just crying and everyone's just so annoyed with this cry. Like they're just blank looks. It's not, this baby isn't like, hooray, my little bundle of joy. Oh, calm down, baby. It's just like the baby cries and it sucks, but everything sucks. So whatever. And they're all just like silent, yeah. like staring at each but other. That, that shot, <gasps> that shot right. is Psychic a nativity numbing. scene, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, it is it is the nativity Literally, scene, like yeah. in the manger, like it, it's yeah. it, 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 the way it's, it's lit looks like a like a right. Renaissance painting. Yeah, yeah but yeah. everybody's got PTSD. Yeah, and then it just goes <laughs> right. to each of their just traumatized faces one by one. Yeah, it's really really something. And maybe it's me because I'm you know just thinking the worst at this point. But I'm like, oh, now they're gonna eat the baby. <laughs> <laughs> There are movies for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, they, they, I, I, they cut to these people's faces, and I'm yeah. like, they're at the point, right, where- yeah. They're thinking about it. Yeah. Mm, you know, one way to shut the baby up is to, you know, just like have a meal. Oh, yeah, kill two birds God. with one stone. I'm kind of surprised they didn't go there, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. They went everywhere else. Right? Um. I, I feel like I gotta I gotta mention again that scene um, I think you just brought up earlier, Bob, with the um, uh, the the or Tim too the, the 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 school children being shown the video because you mentioned the cat skeleton being shown. There's something it's kind of similar to the effect that the matter of fact narration is doing, or maybe it's just like this this weird meta effect of then seeing people doing it where you we see like you know, dead pets, you know, and their skeletons. And then now we're seeing it presented now, just the idea that there are skeletons, you know, under animals, you know, if you're thinking sort of kid Mm. terms, Mm. um, that, uh, uh, it's, it's like this, it's like you're, but you're trying to present it in this sort of like under the safety of something scientific sounding like, but for kids, I don't know. There's this, this, Mm -hmm. this, I'm just trying to, Break it's apart really that scene uncanny. And like all the things, it's yeah, really it's uncanny. yeah, exactly. It's it's so uncanny. There's again that disconnect there. So there's that going on with it, and then also, um, 
just it's so effective the woman mouthing um the words to it too it's just um of the video yeah it reminds you that this is the only one they have and they've just been watching it over Mm -hmm. and over exactly it's just (laughs) gets that sense of being trapped or whatever when something that like should be an exciting movie Mm -hmm. time just i don't know it becomes like you're just sort of uh you know grasping at air almost yeah and well that's a good point because i think a modern audience right now watching this might be too young to remember how exciting having the you know the tv with a vcr like carted into your classroom like that was a big deal i mean we you all got excited because you're like oh finally like a break in the monotony of Mm -hmm. school we get to watch a movie today connection to the outside world right and this is attempting to do that but has the exact opposite effect right there there is no excitement it's not new it's not different it's not a break in the monotony it is the monotony yeah Mm -hmm. yeah oh what should be making us feel good just becomes less Mm. and less so and becomes (laughs) a part of the horror um so yeah reading your book bob something else that came to mind what you mentioned you know talking about the humor in it or I guess lack thereof yeah. at the Three same jokes. time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, there's all ironic, right? There's, there's the one that you mentioned that was, there's a billboard that shows like, okay. isn't it like a mother <laughs> yeah. with a newborn baby and it's all just kind of happy or, or something like that. Um, what, it, it, what struck me about it is it's ironic, but it's not, it doesn't take you out of the movie. Like, so as far as like, Oh, I'm watching a movie. This is like, it's, it's so obviously, you know, co- uh, I don't know what would be a commentary, mm-hmm. but it's just also at the same time exactly what would be there. So it stays in that utterly realistic tone. It doesn't break that for mm-hmm. me. So it's like, even though it's ironic mm-hmm. and one could laugh at it at the same time, it's not like funny mm-hmm. in the sense of you're laughing at the movie, but you're still just in the actual situation yeah. of the reality itself. Yeah, so, and underneath ra- the billboard, someone is trading sex for rats. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. The basket of rats. The that basket of rats. That was actually my pitch to Nick for what the cover of the book should be, because I was like, the cover <laughs> of the book should always be the thing that represents the horror of the movie. And for me, the horror isn't the nuclear blast. It's the horrible, horrible things that will occur, that your life will be after the nuclear bas- like blast. Yeah. So I was just like, basket of rats, basket of rats, one dollar, whatever, one pound, whatever they were. Um, or barter. This is, or barter, or sex, you know, right. whatever you got. So uh, yeah. actually, yeah, mentioning um, the title in your cover here, um, assuming it worked for you, what worked for you guys about like having the... Um, that that imagery, the opening imagery of the spider uh, and its web, and then the title of the film. I'm not a hundred percent sure that the like threads, like spider opening, like really does we'll it. For save me. that then for the next okay. section, possibly. It's one of the <laughs> only things that I'm not like. I think I like. I get it, but like, I don't think I'm the best. But. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I I like it more, I think, than Rachel does because I think that that's sort of almost, even though the film was made as a PSA, you know, public service announcement to warn about nuclear, you know, proliferation and buildup and stuff, it seems to me that a part of Mick Jackson's or Barry Hines' brain knew this was a horror film. And so 
You start starting out with a spider is kind of classic and archetypal. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm thinking of like uh, you know the Incredible Shrinking Man, you know, and the mm-hmm. spider in the basement, you know. I mean, that to me, the weird juxtaposition of the spider. And then the milk truck, this whole milk obsession in the film, milk delivery, uh, you know, I, that did something for me because that's just already that's like, this is a really weird way to start a film about the mm-hmm. subject matter. And the yeah. little BBC narrator about, oh, the infrastructure, you know, <laughs> I mean, that actually makes it weirder. You know, it's sort of like this is a it's a kind of a WTF telegraph with these conflicting semiotic codes in that opening. You really don't know what's going to happen here. You know, all bets are off. This is going to be a very strange movie. (laughs) Right. So the spider definitely works in that sense and trying to like break apart. I mean, maybe I just kind of like made it work for me just by thinking about it enough, just, you know, assuming something's there, even if it is super open for interpretation. I immediately think of like the threads that we weave, just that Mm -hmm. phrase. Mm -hmm. And then spider, just the way it weaves its, its webs. It's like sort of representative of nature. To trap and kill. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess. Yeah. That should be the really obvious one. Yeah. (laughs) The, The trap and kill thing, but just something about maybe the sort of, um, you know, we don't really think of like, animals, insects having a conscious intentionality to them. So it's like this idea that just spiders as representative of nature, I tie a certain like inevitability to just like, again, the, th- the threads that we weave. It's, it's, I don't know if that makes, mm-hmm. that makes any sense at all, but it's yeah. like, there's this inevitability. It's, it, it makes me wonder if it's like on some level, is did this have to happen for this version yeah. of human history or does it have to happen? It's like something unavoidable. Yeah. We're hardwired to having this terrible thing happen. Yeah. It's, it's in some greater cosmic sense. It's like something as, as part of nature, just that this has to yeah, happen. This is how we roll. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, not necessarily like to human nature, but to mm-hmm. just our story itself, how we have to evolve. Mm-hmm. It's a part of that. So I get that part of inevitability too um, really got to me uh, with the scenes of the preparation where mm-hmm. it just, it really, really, it, it, in our, or maybe it's just because it connects so much to our, our real world of just war and, and this kind of nuclear mm-hmm. conflict where it, it's, it's like you bring up, Bob, in the book, this idea of to prepare or not to prepare. It's um, that, that feeling of if by preparing, you're somehow inviting it to happen, <laughs> like really gets to me. Like I really, because I really like believe the kind of, like we individually and collectively create our reality. So mm-hmm. like recession, if that's all we're ever hearing, you know, in the news and it's all we're ever talking about, you know, that plays a part in putting us there, you know, on top of whatever real world things are going on. It like consciously creates mm-hmm. your reality. So Self- just like fulfilling that everyone, yeah. So it's that everyone is, is going along with it. It almost feels like it's making it happen. And that just, that just really gets me and puts me imagining mm-hmm. there. Like, what would I do? Would yeah. I try to just not do it or not be prepared at all? I don't know. It's just That's right. All they that have these stuff. videos. They have protect and survive. Ugh. They have, yeah. they have the plans. It's all been yeah. planned for. 
Right. It's exact. It's all been planned for. Like it has to happen. God. That so you're really saying this didn't in any way make you want to like go have some sort of uh, disaster like prep kit? It did and it didn't, you know? Mm. And that's, yeah. I think that's what I'm getting at. Where I was talking about in horror, there's these contradictory yeah. things it brings up. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I I do want to say one one scene that because I'll forget if I don't say it now. To this point, in a way, the <laughs> when the dudes are down in the in the office underground, whatever, and and they're talking about food things oh, yeah. that they would like, mm. and then the one guy like they they get sort of through listing off a few things, and the one guy just like goes ah and like starts like hitting the table. Like to me, that's that's the whole sort of thrust of this idea of preparation. Mm. Like, cause at the end of the day, like it's uh, once it happens, no amount of preparation is going to bring back the availability of these things that we take for granted, right? Like the ability to go get a hamburger or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, the reaction he has is like the reaction I was having throughout the whole movie where I'm just like going, oh my God, like, oh shit. Constantly yelling at the TV. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I say in my book, it reminds me of the highway safety movies they showed you in driver's ed in high school where, you know, like signal 30, a real meat fest that, that my, my, um, my my uh, my best girl Makita Brotman talks about in her book Car Crash Culture. You have, on the one hand, it's sort of saying there's stuff you can do to avoid uh, getting in an accident, but unfortunately, about half the accidents there's nothing you can do to prevent them. Yeah, right. You know. Whew. Anything else? Uh, all of you want to say? Speak now, forever. Hold your peace on what worked for you about this film. One thing I will say for the title threads that I'm only now just realizing it's uh, something I never really connected to the title, but it definitely like works. So there's this scene towards the end where the kids are doing like arts and crafts, I guess. The children of the nuclear holocaust are doing some arts and crafts where they're taking old sweaters Mm -hmm. and unraveling them and then using that thread (laughs) to make these sad little like... I don't know, dream catcher, potholder. I don't know what the, I don't know what exactly the purpose it serves other than just like something to do. Um, but it is basically like once all of everything collapses, now we're all just like fighting over the garbage and seeing what we can make out of it. Like we got to take, oh. we got to undo everything and then we got to use those threads to, but mm. like, Yeah. So anyway, that reminds me of the moment when Ruth dies that her daughter takes like the yeah. three items that have any significance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're then they're basically trash, right? Like it's like a totally mangled hairbrush mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like a kind of a scarf which is just like a remnant of something. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what the third thing is that she takes, but She's got it's a all very book like about birds. She from leaves Jimmy. the she leaves she the, leaves the she leaves the bird. She leaves the, yeah, she leaves the book. She doesn't yeah. know Jimmy, right? Well, I don't know and what probably this can't read anyway. So it's just yeah, <laughs> she can't read anyway, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like this idea of like these items that either have some sort of meaning or 
functionality. Right. Minimal utility. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The utility of it. Yeah. Was I just, I found that particular moment too, to just be like, oh God. Right. Just that kind of putting you in the place of what do you take? What do you leave? What matters at all? And the, and the <laughs> do emo- I have to brush the, my hair anymore? The total <laughs> lack of emotion that she has with Ruth dying too, is just like, oh, well, I better collect the things that are useful. Ugh. Yes. Uh, well, is the <laughs> yeah? That's right. Leave it on that note. Um, yeah, it sounded like nothing else uh, for you, Bob. Wanted I'm to good. say, yeah, great. Then, in that case, we can find out if indeed there was anything else that did not work for us in our next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> Still mixed feelings on the title, Rachel? Or? Uh, I'm kind of I'm coming around to it. I well, I'm okay. thinking about it too. The thing about the title is that, like, when they started, when they start with the whole threads thing, it's like, well, it doesn't really like hook me in. But I can't really think of a better like it. What what would be the opening? Like, here's what would happen in a nuclear war. Like, that's not fun. That would be too on the nose. So, yeah. like, yeah. Um, but it's not, it's never been, it's never been like my favorite thing in the movie, I guess I'll say, um, is the sort of like opening and like the title. There's a lot of, I find a lot of the first half of the movie, it does a great job of slow building dread, but a lot of it just sort of washes over me. Like I'm not really following super closely the sort of, like, you, pro- Bob probably is, following the, like, sort of political, like, the specifics of anything that's going on, either with the characters or with, like, the building war. I just, it's just sort of, like, they're all having these sort of sad little lives. Like, I mean, they're fine. They're great compared to the second half of the movie. Um, and the scary shit is kind of building, like, the... The fact that Dread is building is like 10,000 times more important than any of the specifics of the movie before the bomb goes off. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't really get hooked in until basically like the kind of the grocery store scene. Like it takes a while for me to get like really, really hooked into the movie. I think if I just watched the first like 10 to 20 minutes of the movie, I might be kind of like. And, and and if I had gotten interrupted somehow, I might not have come back to it. Mm, but mm. you know, don't don't go away, viewer. If you <laughs> if you only yeah. watch twenty minutes of thread, keep going, and I promise you'll get traumatized eventually. If that's what you're <laughs> after, if it's not what you're after, you probably shouldn't watch the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I kind of view it that same way, but I look at that more as like the kind of movie viewer I am where it's almost like, you know, I don't really listen to the lyrics of a song until, you know, it takes me a while. That's the thing so, though. I usually yeah. listened. I'm usually very like, hmm, I'm very mm-hmm. invested in this plot and character that probably isn't going to matter once people start dying. But like mm-hmm. in this one, and I think they frankly do a very good job with like the characters. Like there's some good fun dialogue towards the beginning where the kid's like, what's an abortion? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, oh, I don't, I don't, it's not like riveting, like drama, like yeah, yeah. the characters, but it's very believable. And that's yeah. the important thing. Kitchen sink realism. But like, do I care yeah. about the specifics of it? Probably not. Like, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I, I, 
I, I'd be curious and I guess surprised to hear anything for you, Bob. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a happy thing that doesn't work and there's a very sad thing that doesn't work for me. Okay. The happy thing that doesn't work is that fortunately, the specific scenario in Threads is highly unlikely. That um, mm. uh, this is something I've learned from other Threads heads that, uh, you know, you can sort of see Mick Jackson's, uh, you know, liberal paranoia about Ronald Reagan. Because and now I'm going with the part that Rachel ignored, you know, like the buildup in Iran. Mm-hmm. Even, mm. even, um, even Reagan would never have front-loaded tactical nukes into a, a hot-button situation like that in the Middle East. Um, mm. Ironically, the day after his nuclear initiation scenario is more plausible because um, we did have Pershing intermediate nuclear missiles in, in West Germany. And so Berlin, that's also, you know, in, in the war game, uh, you know, the, the Peter Watkins uh, banned BBC documentary a decade earlier. It's a big influence on threads. You know, both Peter Watkins and, and, uh, and, the, and the day after posited a, a German uh, crisis leading toward a nuclear exchange. Hmm. And that actually is much more realistic. Um, mm. As the threads had to say, though, the, we had to find some way to get the bombs falling. But Iran, fortunately, if you really know about where they were and stuff, um, there is a sort of, I mean, I never thought this, even like on the 10th viewing, it still scares the bejesus out of me. But there was indeed, indeed, I shouldn't, People watching shouldn't be that worried about it. It's it's not that plausible a scenario for mm-hmm. it. Like I say, that's the happy news. The bad news, <laughs> the bad news is that um, this mi- movie was intended to get us to abolish nuclear weapons, and it utterly fa- it failed. We still have them. We still have them. And I want to say a co- just two things with my nuclear activist hat. The, the Journal of Atomic Scientists Doomsday Clock is at 100 seconds to midnight right now as we record this. And that is closer than it's been during the Cuban Missile Crisis, during oh, the mishap God. in the 80s, able archer exercise of NATO when Russia thought we were invading them, and a few other things. So that's bad. Also, as we record this podcast, there are five places on the planet where a nuclear exchange could start. We know, obviously, you know, Putin and Russia and Ukraine, China, both with Taiwan and uh, their border with India and the stuff going on there. India and Pakistan, two nuclear powers that border each other. It'd be like if Canada had nukes and didn't like us or Mexico had nukes and didn't like us. We've got North Korea, right? Never know what they're up to, but stuff about South Korea. And then we have Iran and Israel and, you know, and, and all that stuff. So, Mick Jackson really wanted this to make a difference. And we have the irony. Here's a fun fact. In January of 2021, the United Nations abolished nuclear weapons in the General Assembly. They signed off on that. And, of course, all the actual nuclear powers said, eh, we don't think we'll sign this treaty. You know, (laughs) so he didn't do it. And, like, God, if Threads didn't do this, what the fuck? You know, I mean, what, (laughs) what what kind of movie... You know, I mean, the irony, as, as I talk about in, on the day after, is Reagan, 
Reagan doesn't like horror films, but he likes disaster movies. He watched The Day After, which is a disaster film. And he was like, oh, I don't like nuclear weapons anyway. Let's let's he almost with Gorbachev. They almost got rid of all of them at Reykjavik, but they certainly got rid of the intermediate ones, a whole class of nuclear weapons. Um, But if threads, if threads can't get people, you know, you know, can't be in Uncle Tom's cabin for nuclear disarmament, what will it take? <laughs> yeah. So well, I think the the film on its own terms doesn't didn't succeed at what it wanted to do. Got so just what worked for you, what did not work for you is that the film did not work in the most literal sense. Yeah, um, literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, man, that makes my what didn't work so lame. Which is <laughs> go for it. Just edit me out. <laughs> no, there's like there's it. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but. It, there seems to be almost no um, like orchestrated soundtrack music like Correct. in this at all. Mm-hmm. Except Chuck Berry for one, three times and like, one piece of music. There's one piece of music that I'm like, whoa, what? Like, uh, you're reminding me that I'm watching a movie. What mm. are you doing? Like, why does that exist? It's so odd to me. And it stands out. And I'm like, what? I don't understand why they even did it. I can't remember the exact moment that it happens, but it was super jarring. And I was like, well, it's happening. Why'd they mm-hmm. do that? Um, that's a great Other criticism. than that? Yeah. Indeed. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's because, like, yeah, yeah. Not one non, not, everything else, the, all the other music is diegetic. And then exactly. there's one non-diegetic thing. Well, it's it's like the only thing in the movie that's like, well, we're going to add a little extra cue on how you're emotionally supposed to feel about this <laughs> in addition to just the off, like, you don't need it, Threads. You do not Yeah, need no kidding. I'm like, I, you've got me emotionally yeah. cued up. You don't like, need to add to it. So Thank much, you very much. It'd be so much bleaker, like, without it. Like, I feel like it's probably, yeah. you know what? I bet if they didn't have the music in it, it would yeah. have abolished the music. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe That's they true. needed. Maybe. maybe they needed to that put that music. in to get it screened. Just yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But yeah, that's I mean, maybe some producer was like, "Guys, guys, yeah. guys, lighten up. People are gonna kill themselves. Right. Put something in to remind them no, it's a movie. I, that's something I, I, that doesn't work for me. Uh huh. So people need to be killing themselves after. Like nobody, you don't see any suicides after the bomb drops. You see nothing but reasons for suicide. Like mm. the, I believe, like obviously, pe- the will to live is strong. I'm sure people will, but like there must be whole classes of people that are just like nah. Absolutely. Like, and you just don't yeah. see any of them. Well, we have that tight narrative focus on just it's those true. people. It's true. That's fair. But I mean, like, evidence, that would be another subplot like, of, of the- suicide, like just encountering some evidence of suicide. Well, and there is there is the shot of people who have been hanged. Mm. Right. We see their oh. feet. Mm-hmm. But but it's not it, to me. It was important implied that they were hanged by somebody else, like mm. by an authority, yeah. rather than they collectively yeah. chose to hang Ooh. themselves. I don't mm-hmm. think that was the intent. It's, I feel like hanging so, yourself isn't something you do in a group. Like Right. <laughs> but if you're gonna show if you're gonna show that that's happening, it's not right. like they were shying away from yeah. it or something. Yeah. I, I would imagine, unless somebody was like really staunch about like, hey, we could show all of this really horrifying stuff, <laughs> right, but, but like no suicide. suicide's a little much. Come mm. on, guys, we've got yeah. So, <laughs> it is very, it's yeah. very um, 
even though there's stuff in there, like trading rats for sex and this girl getting like raped, but it's it's so squeamish about it's so like very mm-hmm. just the hint. I didn't even know she was training sex for rats. I like it's like blink and you'll miss it. She just kind of like he's just kind of like Ur, and she's like you know all right fine. Um, yeah. So you don't really necessarily know. If you're not paying the super closest of attention, you may not, like, catch some of these, like, details or, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's – they're very – it's – there are a handful of things that they're a little, like, shy about in a yeah. – and many that they're right. not shy at all. Maybe no suicide because of British pluck. That, Maybe. you know, we're going to we're gonna endure. Yeah. yeah, we're going to – we're going on. to get through this, you know. <laughs> We survived the blitz. We'll survive <laughs> That's this. That's good. I like right. that. Yeah. That's good. They should have shown they still have their tea time. No right, exactly. What. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, if only that guy had gotten some water, he could have made some tea with it. But yeah. alas. Well, and, and you know, a everything's irradiated, so it's probably already hot. So you're good to go. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Great. I like like what you said earlier, Rachel. If only they didn't have that music cue, then maybe <laughs> we would have had nuclear disarm. <laughs> that's what that's what went wrong. <sighs> and more suicide. Yeah. Um Okay, great. Well, uh, Bob, some of what you're already saying there is uh some fun things of note. So I'd love to move into that section if we're already here. I have more. Great. Here we go then. Things of note. This should be interesting. Well, just because you mentioned it earlier, I was curious. Um, I thought it was really interesting how you said, you know, Reagan saw the day after. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was so interesting how didn't that actually have um, an yeah. effect on him? Yeah, his. Uh, I, I mean, there are multiple sources. I, I think I cite in my book Richard Rhodes's magisterial four-volume history of the bomb as one, but uh, everybody who was in the Reagan cabinet said it was the only time they ever saw Reagan depressed mm. after he saw an advanced screening in the, in the theater. Uh, and then he said he went to a nuclear uh, briefing and he, and he basically wrote, he, he basically wrote in his diary that he thought these people were insane. It also shows up in his, in his uh, auto, in his memoirs, but yeah, mm. Reagan was deeply affected by, uh, by the day after, but I don't think he got near threads, which, like I oh, joke yeah. in the book, it might as well have been directed by Jean-Luc Godard in terms of what Reagan likes in films. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> too, too, uh, too uh, you know, too non-Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, pu- I wrote down uh, on page 31 of the book here, you said how after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that the primary, quote, utility of nuclear weapons has been to deter nuclear war, which just seems like one of those just like brain exploding things to me. Um, Yeah, if we're lucky, that's what they do. Huh? If we're lucky, that's what they do. On a good day, they deter nuclear war. (laughs) On a bad day, they don't. But something about that just captured for me like, the the um the the not the contradiction the um fa- fallacy the um what's that word I'm looking for just that it compl- it doesn't make any sense it completely cancels yeah. itself out paradox. like it's a, it's contradiction yeah paradox thank you it's an absolute paradox to me um God I don't know I forget why uh, if I had a question on that I've <laughs> written it down but blows my mind um yeah anything um 
maybe outside of your book. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that you wanted to mention. Yeah, that some well, fun well, tidbits. Outside, uh, maybe overlapping a little bit, but but still, I'll just throw these out. These are the four things of note I think anybody listening to the podcast, I would want to tell them. It's really weird Barry Hines, the writer, gets top credit over the director. That That's the first thing is he threads a, a film by Barry Hines, you know, or mm. a screenplay by Barry Hines. That tells you how yeah. how big he was in in uh, in the UK at the time. He was he was he got you know got people interested. The second is you can see on YouTube um, the rough draft of this film is uh, Mick Jackson's documentary, A Guide to Armageddon. That's like an hour long, where he learned a lot about how to stretch a budget for burn effects and stuff. And that's mm. pretty damn depressing in its own right. But it's an interesting. It's sort of the prequel to Threads. <laughs> Third thing for Stranger th- for Stranger Things fan, I do mention this briefly in the book. There's a you know Kate Bush uh, when her her 1980 album uh, Never Forever came out. She uh, she rather than going with Babushka or Army Dreamers, she insisted the first single be Breathing, which is her nuclear song. And mm. I think I think the screenplay by Barry Hines does a kind of a, a shout out to it. When uh, when Ruth is worried about about the effects of cigarettes on her unborn baby and stuff, because the 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 Kate Bush song is mainly anti-nuclear, but has a little thing about breathing my mother's nicotine, you know. Mm. <laughs> so I think there's a there's a shout out to Kate. And finally, I, I I would point out that I think it's hilarious that the movie that Mick Jackson did after this was The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner oh, yeah. and and Whitney Houston. <laughs> he because he basically says on the. Uh, you know, on the on the director's commentary, I am so done with anything like threads. I never want to even get near. And so there's this Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to Hollywood and make this movie now. You well, know, and it was a hit. So. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and you know, you, you going from threads to the bodyguard to me is like cinematic whiplash. You know, that's yeah, really absolutely. that is a it huge. It makes me realize, like, when you think change. about it. I, I don't know how long he sat in the editing bay, but like, yeah. just the idea of putting this movie together. Mm. They is say, um, yeah, he so said it traumatized. It, it traumatized him for for over a year. Uh, over a year, yeah. he was in a very very bleak place. Damn. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious. So, what was kind of the effect of this film coming out? What impact did it have on people? I mean, we mentioned, you know, the night that Britain didn't yeah. sleep, yeah. but um, yeah, what kind of legacy, our immediate reaction and now legacy has it had? Well, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's been, again, because of Shudder and Severn, it's been kind of rediscovered. Yeah, this definitely wasn't intended as a horror movie, and my feeling is that <laughs> I didn't notice it pop up on Shudder until exactly beginning of the pandemic, Mm. Um, I think there were a a number of us horror fans at the beginning of the pandemic who were like, oh, yeah, like Nick and I were calling it like disaster porn where we were just like, ooh, let's really watch some like very scary (laughs) stuff. Like I can't remember Contagion or whatever. Like, yeah, let's watch. Yeah, why do we do that? that I I watched Contagion at the beginning of the pandemic, too. And I'm like, yeah, what am I doing? But that is what you I don't know. Like, I think something it's like I don't really think of myself as like 
I always think of myself as the person who would like just kill themselves at the beginning of a zombie apocalypse, but I don't actually think I would. <laughs> ah, the suicide angle. Actually, this is where it's coming from. Yeah. So there's been studies that yeah. people who were watching horror movies in the pandemic coped with the pandemic better than people who were just yeah. like avoiding that stuff because there were a lot of people <laughs> who did. And it, it's so, yeah. And I think it's just sort of like, because again, coming back to like, oh, did this movie make you want to go out and get a survival kit? I was the person that when the stuff was going down with like Trump and um, King John, Kim John Un, Un, yeah. Un, yeah. Um, I was, I was like, uh oh, and, <laughs> and started like for a, a like a good like few months was just looking up the DefCon warning system every day to see what DefCon level we're at, and like I made a little, right. I googled a little bit about like what do you do ordering the nuclear, iodine pill. Yeah, well, I wasn't. I was just <laughs> made a little notebook. Like if it goes up to like it's at DefCon three. If it goes up to two, maybe <clears throat> we'll make some. Some thoughts about it. I hadn't actually checked into it. The last time I checked it, like, a couple months ago, it was at, like, a three again. It had gone back down, and then it went back up to a, a three again. But um, it didn't – It's. it made me hmm, – even though so many things in Threads were so paralleling, like, uh-oh, now all the groceries are gone. Or, like, uh-oh, like, we saw all these little warning signs, and we're just like, ah, it's just a flu. And then suddenly, uh-oh. Um, but – it didn't really make me feel more scared about COVID. It was just kind of like, it's like if things are going to get really, like if reality is going to get really scary, I at least want it to have a little fun. <laughs> I do genuinely like being scared. So if reality is going to get really scary, like let's just kind of lean into it. Let's just kind of enjoy that just the tiniest little bit. So like, yeah, I don't know. It it, it it let me recontextualize reality as a horror movie for a short time, which was like a perversely, like admittedly perverse, but like effective way for coping with pandemic for a while. So, right, right. Yeah. The pandemic, it's only a movie. It's yeah. only a movie. But like, it's so interesting <laughs> that this wasn't built, like that no one, it seems like it hadn't been, it, it was like, oh, now we're going to reclaim it as a horror yeah. movie. Because no, it, it so obviously was made to scare people, even though it wasn't. Like, right. what's yeah. the difference between a horror movie and yeah. a movie that was trying to scare you? And yeah. that's the whole goal. Yeah, pre-pandemic, it would mainly show up, like, if I would go to, like, a sane freeze, you know, anti-nuclear conference or something, and somebody would be saying, oh, man, have you ever seen The Day After? That's really a mindfuck. And it's like, you think mm. that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It didn't get as much play here because, of course, it's Sheffield and not mm. Kansas City, you know? Yeah. Right. I wonder if it um, could be due for a theatrical re-release or some kind mm. of limited release could be great. Yeah. I, at the same time, though, like what I was saying earlier, just putting that out there more in the world in a certain yeah. way. Yeah. I say I'm make new ones. We've got about. new scenarios. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's right. true. Yeah. Yeah. There hasn't been. There's always apocalyptic movies, but they're never nuclear apocalyptic movies. I yeah. think. Yeah. Let's get I mean, that was Reboot another question. Like the Western. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that is kind of a question I had because in the, the book, you kind of say this seems. Uh, maybe I'm putting words into your mouth here, but it kind of seems like the ultimate sort of say on nuclear disasters and just what the horror of the leading up and aftermath would be. But I don't know. Could could you all see that? We could be helpful to have sort of a new film with oh, the same. Sure. Definitely, absolutely. Yeah, we talked about this yeah. at the launch. I mean, it should be fresh. I don't think you should just remake Threads. You know, the main thing you can take about is the low budget and the practical effects. You know, it's interesting that 
Uh, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer is going to use practical effects versus CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the way to go for some reason. Um, I get distanced by CGI nuke stuff. It's like not as visceral. Some of all yeah. fears, uh, T2, good stuff, but it doesn't do, Threads is worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, for some reason. The only, uh, the only Analog CG nuke. Analog versus digital. Right. Yeah. The, the only CG nuke thing I'll defend is the one in Twin Peaks, The Return. Nice. Oh, yeah, great. totally. That is, oh, I forget. <laughs> yeah, Obvious. yeah, absolute, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is um, part six of Twin Peaks, The Return. Greatest hour yeah. of television I ever saw. Part part eight, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, part, that's legendary right. Yeah, part eight. Up. Yeah, right. And you got um, Nine Inch Nails first and then, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think, uh, but. As, even if it's not direct remake, I think, like you said, low budget would make a lot of sense. And then just to take more from its yeah. pages would be um, non-actors for this kind of film. I don't know. So I, I hope it would no star kind of take what would work. But I mean, at the same time, though, this I, this was so entirely effective for me. Like, I don't know. It's just like, yeah. show this more at the same time. Sure. I don't know. Sure. Let a thousand yeah. flowers bloom. Do both. Yeah. 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 New ones, show this one. Yeah. Did you all see it was like within the last year and this is where like I think it got to me honestly even more than like pandemic stuff uh, just sort of the world reacting to it but there was like in the last year I guess when the sort of um, maybe the Ukraine conflict started up but like a New York like official made PSA that was basically an update on the duck and cover thing. Did you guys see that? Oh, have not had the pleasure. It was like it was like a PSA that I think was like being shown just in like subways or around. I don't know. It was like made for New Yorkers. Like, here's what to do in nuclear blast. I don't know. Like, look it up now. Okay, is it on YouTube? Yeah, I I assume so. All right. Um, ninety nine percent sure it's real. Um, I think I know what you're talking about because my girlfriend Britt is like extremely anxious about she, like she wouldn't watch this movie mm. like i told her what we were watching and she's like nope that like i can't <laughs> do that nope because she'll yeah. get down these little rabbit holes of these like apocalyptic scenarios and i think she was she was telling me recently that she had seen a thing that was going through what you need to do if a nuclear bomb hits like mm-hmm. in the moments that it hits like the actions mm-hmm. you need to take yeah. in that moment so maybe that's what she saw yeah it's like as horrifying as this film was something about seeing that psa it's like the mm-hmm. psa is still scarier mm-hmm. like i think what what are the different terms you use bob like one is stoic acceptance as just sort of reactions to yeah versus yeah right versus yeah, cautionary um, yeah does it make you want to can you stop it or do you just have to roll with it yeah right so I think with even though this is still a film enough, I'm able to, you know, stay out of the idea of acceptance. It's still a movie on some level as much as it does and did get to me. But something about seeing a real life like PSA, 99% sure is real. Um, yeah. Boy, that that actually scared me even more than this film. Because it's it like, who decided to do oh god I'll, I'll try to find it and share it with you guys a lot of yeah, fun yeah please do yeah um yeah that'll be <laughs> fun, fun for us <laughs> right and then um uh, just another thing i thought was really interesting not sure what to say on it but you sort of point out in the end of the book this um that there's a linkage between uh the idea of the bomb and conception where yeah. did that kind of come from and what were you saying about that 
Well, I'll give you a, a, a really weird, you know, I worked for a couple decades with a photographer and one of the things we, uh, on nuclear stuff, one of the things we noticed, we were going out in the missile fields in North Dakota, these, you would find these uh, ICBM silos and right next to them would be these giant pro-life baby billboards. And it really, the first time we saw that, we thought that's interesting. The 50th time we, we saw that, we thought, what the fuck is going on here? You know? And I think that, um, you know, in a way that sort mm. of tied in there that, I think it's because, you know, I noticed that scientists refer to nuclear weapons as an existential weapon, which is a really interesting way to put it, that um, the kind of the, the gravity of the threat that this kind of device gives us par- makes us think paradoxically of continuity and life and conception and all these that somehow it's it's the uh, good old Freudian, you know, Eros and Thanatos, you know, like it's the dialectic between these two. And so you know, to put it as plain language as possible, when we think about the, the deathliness of the bomb, we worry about life and how life is going to work. And, and, and uh, the day after sort of, you know, skims the surface of that and Threads does the multi-generational deep dive. Mm. So I think, it's, I think it's somehow the bomb leads us to think of the opposite of the bomb. And like I say, what's really weird is that's what they said when... The, the Trinity test, they sent a telegram uh, about the results of the test to Truman using coded language, or to, I think maybe General Leslie Groves, using coded language of birth. That, you know, mm. the baby's born, you could hear the screams this far, you know, how long the sound carried. It's mm. in the book, but it's very weird that that was, yeah. that was how they branded the bomb at the moment of its first successful test. That That is kind of, I mean, yeah, getting at whatever was coming up for me, just this, I mean, when you think of the star child at the end of 2001, there's yeah. something about the idea of a child being born that is yeah. like just the most yeah. powerful thing yeah. <laughs> in oh, a way. Yeah. And by and, the way, and, in the and, Arthur C. Clarke novelization of 2001, the first thing that kid does is detonate, like in the scenario of that world, they have orbiting nuclear weapons and the kid explodes them. That's mm. in the novel. Great. I mean, that almost says it, whatever we may be trying to, to get at here. Just thought, um, yeah, I don't know. This is super interesting too. the idea that they're opposite extremes in a way of like destruction and creation. But then at the same time, they're both the same and not contradictions and just this idea of an expulsion of energy itself. So yeah, I don't know, nice. but that is really nice. interesting. Um, any uh, questions for our author here, Tim, or, or Rachel here? You have no, nothing specific. Yeah. Um, okay. One last question though for you, Bob. I thought it was really interesting how you were a fan of Robert Heinlein. You said you yes. loved Robert Heinlein in the book. Yeah. Uh, why is that? And do you think that connects to your love of this film threads? Well, um, I mean, Robert Heinlein is one of the most interesting and you know, and, and constantly changing his mind, uh, occupying all sorts of contradictory ideological positions simultaneously. I think he's just a great American um, thinker and writer. And, and um, my, uh, my significant other got me as a birthday present, the complete Heinlein hardbound, like all 57 volumes, the Virginia edition. I've been working through it. I'm in about volume 24. But um, <clears throat> I first ran into Heinlein because of his his uh, his really batshit ideas about you know uh, you know like uh, you know really wanting to 
get us ready to fight a nuclear war for a while. You know, and of course, Starship Troopers, you know, kind of came out of that moment. And then he did 180 with Stranger in a Strange Land. You know, he's hmm. he's fascinating to me. And and um, I admire people who aren't afraid to change their minds in public a lot. And And his positions are always interesting. He's fun to read and argue with. There's no way anybody, I've never met anybody who could agree on everything he ever said, including probably him, you know. But I mm. love the guy. And I, you know, uh yeah, I and, and but but if you want to get the really weird Cold War Heinlein I mentioned in the book Farnham's Freehold, where <clears throat> he actually says a nuclear war is going to be a good thing because it's going to kill the dumb people and the smart people. It'll be it'll really be the survival of the intellectually fittest because they'll be ready for it, which is like, <sighs> damn dog, you know <laughs> what do you make of that? But it's fascinating. Yeah, Jeez. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know. Intelligence isn't genetic, so yeah. There's always going to be dumb people. <laughs> yeah, yep. Sorry, it reminds Bob. me of sorry, a, Bob Heinlein. <laughs> Tommy uh, Chong. I had the pleasure of meeting him, and he said how uh, cats, um, who street cats, uh, who survive, are the ones who are very, very smart. That that is a sign of intelligence of <laughs> animals that can survive in the streets, dogs mm. and cats. So Tommy Chong oh. and Robert Heinleiner. Yeah. <laughs> in agreement. All right. I like ending on that note here for <laughs> threads and nuclear war and all that. So let's wind down here with some quick recommendations just to kind of ease out, see what else is all on our, our mind and spirits here. Uh, Rachel, that was not your recommendation, Beavis and Butthead, um, do America. <laughs> oh, come on. As great as it that was. Be. So uh, what's the other one you came prepared with you'd like to share? I've been thinking about it. And I think if you like threads, you would like martyrs, weirdly, the French horror, because yeah. it is a similar, like, if you love being traumatized, <laughs> like, yeah. and yeah. you love a horror movie, yeah. that's just gonna keep getting worse. Yeah, and you all did a great Boy. podcast on that. Shout yeah. out to you guys yeah. on that one, Ryan martyrs. and Tim. Yeah, that, by, by the way, I want to ask you, because you said that Threads was one of your top three. Uh, mm -hmm. Is Martyrs one of the other top three? or The other what are two your other, are yeah. Carrie and Midsommar. Um, so yeah, but those are, but there's, there's, but a, those are cheerful movies. A lot of you know. <laughs> happy ending. I, I was yeah. always, so my friends, like some of my friends will be like, well, Midsommar really traumatized. They're not horror movie people. They're like, Midsommar really traumatized me. And I'm like, I find it weirdly comforting. Like, I don't know why. Yeah, it's, it's one of my peaceful. I expected to be traumatized because that was my other one that I was like, well, if you like being traumatized, I, Hereditary will probably do it for you. <laughs> Um, cause that Great. one, I no, tried to put that on the other day that, and Britt was like, no, that did traumatize me for like, and that was one where just like threads, I watched it at the time of maximum terror because I had just, uh, gotten into a very bad, uh, car accident and was like recovering from it. And it really, um, it yeah. really, uh, it really got, got into me, got into my bones. But, um, yeah, that's, that's another one that I, is pretty brutal is a pretty brutal, like the, the, the world you're existing in is not a fun world. Yeah. Um, no martyrs. That was episode 77. Tim and I dismembered it and it was our first time seeing it. And actually it was yeah. on the tip yeah. of my tongue this whole episode. So I'm glad you yeah. mentioned it yes. here. Great, great podcast. Great film. Excellent. <laughs> great. Um, okay. I'll just get mine out of the way. Really, really, uh, quick here. 
Um, I, uh, I, I, I needed some, maybe after this film or whatever, or this, uh, I was all on my mind. I needed some, like, what's my like go-to comfort food movies. I revisited for the first time in so long, something near and dear to me when I was young. And that was Ace Ventura when nature calls <laughs> specifically the sequel. It cracked me up as much as ever. Uh, recommend dead that if it's been a while, Ace Ventura when nature calls, uh, Tim, how about you? Um, I will go away from the bleakness as well. And I just watched Glass Onion, the the sort of sequel to Knives Out. Um, and like, you know, it's fun. It's it's kind of what you expect with a, a murder mystery thing. Not what you expect, but like, you know what you're getting into and it's it's complex and, and funny and, you know it does a good job of misdirecting you as, as you might want. So great. Yeah, it's fun. All right. And Bob, last but not least. Yeah, I got a, I got a couple here. Um, on, in terms of films, I give a lot of love in chapter two for a reason to these are the damned Joseph Losey's um, hammer horror film, mm, which okay. uh, my hot take is that it's part of a, a kind of a loose trilogy with village of the damned and children of the damned. Mm. Um, you know, I, if, if they box them together, they'd call it those damn kids. Um, it does a really great job of capturing, but it's very unlike the other two in the series. It does mm. an incredible job of capturing the psychological freakiness of growing up in the Cold War for those who grew up, who were mm. born after it. The other text I, I also mention only in an in a, in a end note um, that's equally bizarre is 1964's UN, United Nations special, which has been re, uh, they show it on TCM now occasionally, and it's on YouTube. In fact, both of these are on YouTube. Uh, Carol for Another Christmas, which is the other 1964 nuclear movie with Sterling Hayden and Peter Sellers. And it, I it like yes, I've heard of I this. know, it is a gem. It is a jewel. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenally strange. Uh, Mankiewicz wrote the screenplay. <laughs> Rod Serling had some hand in it, but anyway, hmm. and it's a retelling of Dickens' Christmas Carol, but with uh, obviously bring in nukes and you have an idea about the, the ghost of Christmas future, right? Mm, um, that's great. all I'm saying. Uh, I want to shout out to two, uh, for Threads Heads, two uh, other interested parties, two other great uh, nuclear-themed podcasts, Shelley Lesher's My Nuclear Life and Tim Westmeyer's Supercritical Podcast. Both of which also, uh, in very different ways than we're doing, talk about threads. Um, and then lastly, I'd say, as an English prof, the wonderful world of nuclear literature, fiction, and nonfiction awaits you. The book I'm reading now that really is rocking my world is uh, Denise Kernan's The Girls of Atomic City, which is about <laughs> the women who worked at Oak Ridge. It's a, it's, it reads like a novel. It's a page-turner. It's not technical. It's delightful. And it puts a human face on this rather strange stuff. Cool. Great. And then I wanted to uh, both recommend and recommend Dead again, uh, why we have you two here, not just to talk to you, but we just wanted to tell everyone about not just Die Die Books is the book series that's coming out, uh, which this is the first one of the first release. We have coming up also in this first batch of books, Poltergeist, The Wolfman, Sleepaway Camp, and The Love Witch. 
So the hopefully that's witch. not in reverse yeah. there. I'm showing it Ooh. for our YouTube audience. Um, yeah, Rachel, anything else you can tell us about the series and then where to get yes. the books and all that? Indeed. Um, yes. So again, just every book is going to be by a different author about a different horror movie. Um, and it's really just, we really give the authors like complete free reign to like just go nuts, whatever their personal obsessions, interests, whatever, like background research, whatever they want to bring to the party, just like run at that as hard as they possibly can. Um, and Bob was sort of the perfect candidate for <laughs> for doing that. He's just a mm-hmm. exceptional, the research in the, the level of knowledge you will get from reading this book, like anything you could possibly ever want to know about threads and nuclear war in history. I won't say any, anything a person who's not Bob, because I'm sure he's got plenty more to say that didn't make it in. I know he's got more to say than yeah, that. We cut, some quite, of it, yeah, we she cut, cut quite a bit from the yeah, book. They'll let, yeah, they'll let you go nuts, and, ah, but they will, they will we'll draw you, you back in. a little bit. We're pulling you back readable. in. They're, they're, they're still, at the end of the day, they're relatively uh, short punchy books um but um yeah i don't and we really just we also kind of want to go really like uh, crazy with like what's we always kind of want to go like sometimes we'll have a thing where we went to bob and we're like would you like to write about this very specific movie because we think you'd really crush it um but other times we'll just like find like a like an author or something like we um gory cory of gory cory's blog we saw one of her, she had like that sort of viral um, article or blog post that came out and Shudder kind of um, re-amplified it um, about like, ah, give us some Gen Z horror movies, which I feel like they have kind of now. Um, but uh, we, we saw that and we were like, all right, let's get this girl. Let's see, let's see what she wants to write about. Um, so sometimes we'll just, we'll just run at people and, 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 and just be like, what do you want to give us? And, um, and we, we ended up with some good ones that way, I think, um, that, uh, but, but other times like the sleepaway camp is going to be good. It's, uh, from, um, the Colangelo's BJ and Harmony, um, Colangelo had both written about it um, separately. Um, they are um, uh, two women who are married and um, Harmony's trans. So they both have very like specific like reactions to oh, like, oh, sleepaway camp. <laughs> We've got opinions about this movie, but they, they love it. It's a sort of warts and all like reading of that or like, yeah, I don't know. Matt, Matt who wrote The Love Witch has seen it. Oh, God. So many times that we went to see it in theaters and we were like, I know he's seen it like five times in theaters already. So surely we shouldn't call Matt to see if he wants to come with us. And then we went and he was there at the And, you know, that was still, that was when it was still in theater. So we've seen it many times since then. Um, We're like, man, Matt's so obsessed with this movie. He's got it. He's got to do it. And so being excited about all these, where can I find out more about them and Uh, and get them? DieDieBooks.com. Not live yet, but it will be by the time this podcast, (laughs) at the time of this recording, it is still being tooled. But at the time of this uh, being live like yeah diedibooks.com and you will find you'll be able to buy Bob's book in all of its uh mm-hmm. paperback or um 
uh, ebook. Ebook. Yeah. yeah. Glory. Oh, yeah. and all the that's the other thing I want to put. These book looks these books look amazing. Um all the cover art is done by Andy Scatso, who does um some kind of some very good like uh art, just like like hand like drawn artwork, um, which yeah. is like super cool for all of the covers. <clears throat> we went into really invest in that and like i don't know yeah the books the books look sweet um and right they, even the, the the physical books themselves make me want to collect them all and then so they're just going to mm-hmm. be slowly released over yeah. the next year yeah yeah slowly okay. released over the next year and then hopefully we'll yeah. get a new we'll have the new batch ready to go and kickstarter in uh end of 2023 that's the goal that's the goal great um, so, <laughs> so die die yeah. books die die books yeah. Die as in uh, live or die. DieDieBooks.com. Yes. Die, die All right. Well, Rachel and Bob, thank you so, so much for joining us for this. this thank you guys. And thank for all you. you do, for all you do yeah. with the podcast. All Just right. try to keep, keep the going. love alive. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the horror I think you love. still have about 9,000 horror films left to do. <laughs> no yeah. Get cracking. One guys. at a time. Come on. <laughs> Great. Grinders, well, um, Ted B. Nickel. It's kind of on that note then, uh, in closing, let's all uh, weave some good threads here for ourselves and everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Happy New Year.